And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Great to be here, Dan. Well, Mark, it's nice to have you here. And I I realized uh, after we closed the mic last week, we were talking about Martin Luther that uh, there was still much more to cover. So um, before we get to the Bible translation today, you know, the general theme is that of the Reformation because the 500-year anniversary is coming fast. It's this month and uh, on the 31st, so uh, it's it's a wonderful time. Uh, in the Christian calendar, 500 years. Uh, wow, that's that's a big deal. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about Martin Luther since we never completely finished last week. Okay, well, we left off with Martin Luther translating the Bible at the Wartburg Castle. Right. He got done with the New Testament. As I said, he was a great scholar. In fact, Philip Melanchthon, who was also a great scholar at Wittenberg and his very close friend, said, in terms of the German language, Luther was the most brilliant. Mm. He looked at other scholars and he said, the Bugenhagen is a great grammarian. And he says, and I'm a great dialectician. And Jonas, Jonas Justice, he he is a, a great orator. He says, Luther's all three in one. Oh, my. What a compliment. Yes. And he said he was is very great. And, and indeed, uh, I believe it was the... 500th anniversary of Luther's birth. I saw some things out that said he did so much for the German language because of his Bible translation. At any rate, he leaves and goes back to Wittenberg in 1522 because things are getting out of hand. He feels he needs to get back there. What happens with a lot of his teachings and his writings is that the peasants take license and decide to revolt. Mm. Luther did not want this at all. This occurred in 1525. And so the peasants are revolting. And so Luther goes and essentially says, look, rulers, you've got to put this down. Well, they crushed it much harder than Luther would have liked, okay. you know, and that was that was kind of a hard thing for him. Yeah. But at any rate, it's that year when Luther got married. He got married. He got married to a nun. Her name was Catherine von Bora. Hmm. She had been in a monastery, and the reason she was in the monastery is her mother had died when she was very young. Hmm. Her father had remarried, and her stepmother really didn't care for her very much and didn't want her around and put her in the monastery. That was a fairly common practice if you Hmm. just didn't have the money to take care of someone. But at any rate, a bunch of these nuns and Luther's starting to teach, and he's starting to unravel. He says, let's look at scriptures. Scriptures does not prohibit priests and pastors from having wives. In fact, it talks about in Timothy about them having one wife. In fact, it does. That's right. And, and so he starts attacking a lot of these things in the church there to get them in line with scripture. Hmm. And so... Nine nuns came there, and and they got them back to their homes or married off, a number of married, and here's Catherine von Bora. And so he has an individual that he wants her. She actually fell in love with an individual, but he, you know, she didn't have the right pedigree, so Mm -hmm. his family wouldn't allow him to marry her. (laughs) And so there was a... Another individual they wanted her to marry, Catherine von Bora, would have nothing to do with that. Hmm. 
And so she said, well, it's either Nicholas von Amsdorf or Martin Luther. I'm going to marry one of these two, either those two. They're acceptable, but I'm not marrying that guy. <laughs> so Luther took her up on it. That's interesting. And they got married. And initially, you would say that they did not marry for love. Hmm. But after a while, you could see that love grew very deeply oh, yes. uh, between them. And so Luther's working, trying to, to build this church, and, and he's developing a, a catechism in uh, 1529. And then finally the German princes get together at a place called Augsburg, and they have what's called the Diet of Augsburg hmm. in 1530. This is probably uh, one of the most significant things because after that it really sets the – separation between the Lutherans and the old Roman Catholic Church. Uh-huh. Now this diet, so-called, of so Augsburg, diet, that's, that's uh, something you go on when you want to lose weight? <laughs> that's right. It's actually <laughs> nothing more than a meeting of, okay. of the rulers. And so you have the German princes meeting together with the Holy Roman Emperor. And now they're debating because you have a lot of the German princes who have Lutherans in their realms okay. and, and Lutherans teaching and, and leading their churches. And so you have this debate going back and forth, and they're, they're describing it. Now, Luther is not there. Hmm. His right-hand man, Philip Melanchthon, is there. And Philip is the guy that really represents the group. And they bring a confession of faith, and it's called the Augsburg Confession. And it says, this is what we believe. Interesting, one of the Catholic representatives that was there was Johannes Eck, who debated Luther. And one of the rulers, William of Bavaria, turns to Eck and he says, do you have an answer for this? Mm -hmm. And Eck says, well, only if I can use just the fathers and some of the canon law. And then William of Bavaria says, so then I'm to understand that they have the scriptures and we do not. Oh, that's quite an admission. Yes. Oh, my. And, and it was. And what Luther was basing everything that he taught after this was on the scriptures. Yes. Sola Scriptura. So that, that, that's really a key point now. It was, uh, yeah. For the Reformation. Yeah. Is the centrality of uh, the scriptures. Centrality of the gospel yeah. Sola Christos, Sola Gratia, Sola Fides, and then Sola Scriptura, the sole authority yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, last week we mentioned, we hinted at the idea that the United States of America, which comes much later, obviously, right, um, would have never happened had it not been for the Reformation. Is now a good time to comment about yes. that? Yes. When you look at that, would you see what Luther is saying? He's saying, here we have these freedoms. Here we have uh, the grace that comes to us from God. What is it starting to do? It's starting to undo all the monarchy and hierarchy. See, the Roman Catholic Church works very well with monarchy. Hmm. But when you come to... The United States of America, we don't have a monarchy. We didn't need kings. Why don't we need kings? Mm-hmm. Well, we could form a government that was commensurate with scriptures. In fact, King George called it the Presbyterian Revolution. 
This is because what King it, George called the American Revolution. Yes. Well, some debate whether he actually did it, but mm-hmm. one of his advisors did, and it's yeah. obvious that he agreed with it. It was a Presbyterian. You look at our form of government, it's very much like the Presbyterian Church. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you so you have a lot of more power vested in the individual. Well, that comes from the priesthood of all believers, mm-hmm. that we can come to God directly. We don't have to be mediated mm-hmm. by the priest, you know. That's that's very helpful. Um, can I throw something else in? Sure. Another question, and that is, um, there were movements, and even to this day, where people take to the extreme the idea that I'm my own priest, that I can interpret Scripture when you have people that are poorly trained and they don't really know what they're doing. Can you comment about that? Yes. This is what, at the time uh, of the Reformation, was called the Radical Reformation, Hmm. uh, the Schwermer. And they talked, and some of them, one of the individuals was Thomas Munzer, and he claimed direct revelation by the Holy Spirit to him. And Luther challenged Munzer. And he said, you know, Hmm. you say you've got the Holy Spirit. He says, when I want to find the Holy Spirit, I go to the Scriptures. And Luther based all of his on the Scriptures, on good Mm -hmm. exegesis, on studying them, on going over them and and trying to understand exactly what they said. And so, yeah, you have a lot of radicals. But where do you see most of the radicals? They'll talk about scriptures, but when it comes right down to actually debating scriptures, they can't debate them very well. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this radical reformation that occurred at this time were people who said they had direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. There's a number of them. Some of them were crazy. Um, yeah. Jan Mathies, Jan of Leiden got together and tried to take over and bring in the millennium by violence. And, of oh, course, dear. Luther was never no. never for the, that kind of thing. No way. Well, that's helpful. Thanks for taking that little diversion there. <laughs> Today we're talking about the Reformation, and in particular Martin Luther. Uh, we began this discussion last week. We're continuing it today. Um, Mark, why don't you keep going there? Yeah. Well, eventually, after the Augsburg Confession, it was just a part of trying to make the church... Uh, the church there, and he finally finished the Old Testament. Remember, it was 1521 where he finished the New Testament, finished it by 1522, and it wasn't until 1534 that he finally finished the Old Testament. Oh, my. And so it took him a while, but it, it was a great undertaking. He also was very musical, and yeah. he was... Of course, we know a, a mighty fortress is our God. Yeah, wonderful hymn. And it's a wonderful hymn. He wrote many others. And he was a, a good musician and wrote some hymnody and brought that all together. And i got, I got another question, if I may sure. interrupt you here. Um, in his day, as he's writing these hymns and then they sing them, um, was there accompaniment? There was. There mm-hmm. was some accompaniment. Um I don't know what instruments he played. I have to be honest there. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know that. But it was allowed. There, it was. It was allowed mm-hmm. uh, for him, uh, for the Lutherans. I think Calvin didn't like accompaniment so much. But <laughs> That's interesting. Luther would, and it's not surprising. I mean, when you look at the Psalms, he was a great 
devotee of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. He loved the Psalms. Who loved the Psalms? Uh, Luther. Oh, yeah. And he wrote a lot of commentaries on them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when you're in the Psalms, what does it say? Make a joyful noise with a trumpet, <laughs> with the lyre, with, you know, yeah. all kinds of musical instruments. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, at any rate, he he had six children with Catherine von Bora. Mm-hmm. She was a wonderful individual. His home life was anything but normal because he was taking care of nieces and nephews. Mm. In addition to that, he had students constantly sitting at his table. Now that I could, I could, I would have guessed. Yeah, you know, just that's just a natural extension of of your scholarly life. That's also that's pastoral right. and reaching yep. out to people. That's cool. And Catherine was uh, an amazing woman. Understand, she's making meal for 25 to 30 people, mm-hmm. not just her six children, which wow. probably, I don't know that they ever had six altogether. I know two of them died before adulthood. And You know, I'm going to interrupt you again. It seems yeah. like there's more fellowship in some ways when you don't have the automobile. Yes. And you're not interrupted by these silly cell phones where people go out to eat and then they're texting and they never That's have right. a conversation. That's right. But, but no um, no automobile, that means they got to walk nearby and yeah. stay in the area. And that's where we get uh, – there's a, a work of Luther called The, the Table Talk. Ah. And there's a, there's a number of uh, the scholars and people who I always sat at table and would write notes. And apparently Luther got somewhat – I don't know, peeved at it, or he would just, maybe it was just his sense of humor, but I, apparently he belched at one point or, or burped, <laughs> and, and he said, you got that down, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not against technology, obviously. We're using it today, and the other day I was actually watching a, a kind of a teaching, and it was just streamed live there on Facebook, and it was kind of neat. Wow. So yeah. it's not all bad at all, no. but... Um, it, there's not. nothing like actually being in the physical presence of your brothers in Christ and sharing a meal and, and mm. the camaraderie that develops and and the asking of questions and answers that follow by by real scholarly men of God. Right. Uh, can I poke a little bit about that, uh, scholarly men of God? Um, we had mentioned the tendency uh, with the Radical Reformation of kind of doing your own thing, mm-hmm. um, I'm concerned. Um, and here, you know, I'm talking as one who absolutely loves the Reformation, but I'm concerned um, that we have so many spinoffs, so many divisions, right. so many little little Bible church there, little Presbyterian church there, whatever. Um, that uh, can you comment here, about? Yeah, that? here's the thing that always bothers me about that. You know, and, and sometimes you get hit with this. Well, you know, if you let people read the Bible, you're going to have uh, yeah. you're going to have as many as many interpretations as you have people reading the Bible. And you certainly want people reading the Bible as they are converted right. by Christ and led by the Holy Spirit. You want all of that, um, and yet I highly respect those fellow Christian right. men who have been properly trained and others and come under the authority of others. And as one right. man challenges another. Uh, type of thing is taking place. And the fact of the matter is there are certain areas of the Bible where there it allows for disagreement. You sure. know, you can you can see different opinions, but it's not that many. Right. And here's the thing. 
You know, the dirty little secret is if you really want to group theologies, there's only that are biblical. Now, you have to understand Roman theology is somewhat biblical, but yet they're willing to add other revelations. If you look at those theologies that say the Scripture alone is Mm -hmm. the Word, okay? And then, of course, you've got liberal theologies that say the Scriptures don't really hold that much authority. We use them, but we don't hold that. That doesn't count. That's a disaster. Yeah. But those who who hold that, here is the Scriptures, it's probably not more than a half dozen different really groups. Okay. And so you say, where do all these thousands of groups come from? Well... It's all about little things, maybe the color of the carpet or anything. Mm-hmm. To give you an example, we were looking at a, a place to stay, uh, one of the places we were staying down in Tennessee, and I'm driving along this road, and it's only three miles to this place. So it's Tiger Creek Road, and along that Tiger Creek Road, I see three free will Baptist churches. Yes, yes. So obviously they all have the same theology. Mm-hmm. But they split over what? It makes you not, wonder, doesn't it? Not theology. It's not theology that yeah. that people split. They split over minor things and things like that. That's why we have all these different denominations. Mm-hmm. It's not the basic theology. You can you can lump the groups into into like I say, half dozen basic yeah. theologies. I uh, I've grown to appreciate the um, confessions and statements yes. of faith that have grown out of uh, the Reformation, and I've not too long ago became aware of a group of churches, different denominations, but they're in general all in agreement in North America that hold to either Westminster Confession right. or the Continental Confessions, which which beautifully agree, actually, anyway. Yeah. Um, and so there's a whole group, and it's, so it's not as splintered as what you may think. Exactly, and even when you look at, like, uh, the Presbyterians and the, uh, for example, the Episcopalians, when I'm talking about Episcopalians, I'm talking about the conservative ones sure. that still believe the Bible. Doctrinally, not a lot. Right. Not a lot Not a lot there. of difference. Polity, yeah. Yeah, sure. they 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 pick their priests in different ways than than they do. Again, Lutheranism and Presbyterianism, not a lot of difference. And I can speak to both because I'm a Presbyterian minister who's grew up in the Lutheran Church and right. and, and and studied it. Not a lot of difference. Yeah, you can pick some things in the Lord's Supper that they're a little different here, mm-hmm. you know, but. Not a whole lot of difference. At a real high level, we're today we're talking about the Reformation because this is the month when we're going mm-hmm. to be celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So that's a very important thing. And we've mentioned the notion that uh, we really don't think that the United States would have come into existence had it not been for the Protestant Reformation. Um, I want to raise it up one level in terms of people that um, are just tuning in today and boy, you guys are really confusing me type of thing. Um, There are really three wings in Christianity. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're talking about uh, the the, the Protestant wing today that looks back to the Reformation. Um, You also have the Roman Catholic. And the third one is what? The Eastern Orthodox. Yes, and it's very interesting. I'm holding here in my hand a letter from a very dear brother. Uh, who wrote us, uh, he lives in the New Jersey area, and he is a um, a monk, 
of the Orthodox Church, who is also a priest, a hieromonk, they call it. Mm-hmm. And I may not be pronouncing that correctly. And he he was very gracious. Uh, he's been enjoying the broadcast. And that would be from this third wing uh, yes. of, of Christianity. And so I just wanted to mention that for what it's worth. It is. And you look at that, and we see these various wings. A lot of the basics are all there. Oh, yeah. We all adhere to the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. You we know, adhere to the Nicene Creed. That's really important. I don't know how many churches today um, practice reciting the Apostles' Creed or yeah. the Nicene Creed. Uh, I know we've included it on our website because it's a creed that binds together um, these various wings, right. as I said, of uh, Christianity. And many of them, I look at the Eastern Orthodox uh, a part of that uh, subset of that would probably be the Russian Orthodox Church. Sure. And, of course, when the communists took over, I have this thing that I look at every day, which is a what happened this day oh, in yeah. history. And around 1917, you see all of these Russian Orthodox martyrs who died for their faith so rather than deny Jesus Christ in the face of the, their communist mm-hmm. persecutors. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful to see that, and you see a number of them who have have held so firm over yeah. the years. Yeah, these are, uh, these are men of God who, right. filled with the Spirit, said, no, I won't give in uh, yeah. to tyranny. Uh, I will rather die for my faith than uh, reject and deny my Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a couple of minutes left uh, already. This went, again, fast today. Uh, (laughs) If someone wants to understand the Reformation, uh, not only Luther, but what would come, uh, and the the importance of the scriptures uh, in the language of the people and that sort of thing, any books that you can recommend? Oh my! <laughs> That's <laughs> talk for you a whole really hour now. That, that, I there, know. there are so many out there, and I, I would just say, just uh, look at them. I'm trying to think off the top of my head uh, what I would do. Actually, you know what I would do? We we talked about technology, and one of the yeah. great things of technology, if you've got a, a, a Kindle, mm-hmm. I would put the Reformation in there, mm-hmm. and and see what they come up that is really cheap. Yeah. Not that, not that you know, we wanted this to be cheap, but a lot of the things were written on the Reformation in the 19th century, which are really good. And you, mm-hmm. when you find them on Kindle books or Google books, you can get them for free wow. or for 99 cents, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it would be worth looking at those yeah. and studying them, yeah. And then uh, you probably, uh, once in a while, take an email, and what we can do is, uh, if you have a question for Pastor Mark sure. uh, on the Reformation, you can just send it to Redeemer, and I'll forward it to him, because yeah. I always forget your email address, and I know my own, and that is <laughs> ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Yeah. And, and I would be, be glad to, you know, you, you hit me, if I were by, sitting by my library, I'd probably grab a, you know, a couple of the books on oh, yeah. the Reformation I've got. But like I say... Uh, I've been doing this I had a number of times where I just say, you know, let's see what's in Kindle books. Yeah. And you get a bunch of stuff free. That's really <laughs> you know? neat. Really neat. Um, we're at the end already, again today, and uh, this is part of a series of a Plain Answers uh, designed to talk about the Reformation because the 500th anniversary is coming up, end of this month. 
And uh, again, if you have a question for Pastor Mark, by all means, email us. Our email address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. 